First word is Matildas. Yeah, come on. So that was a lot of fun last night. I don't know if that's prophetic. It's just a word. I just said I had a word. So uh, another one is uh, this one. Today is Russ and Mary's anniversary. So happy anniversary to Russ and Mary. Who uh, asked me to please not mention it. And so anyway, it's a privilege to be here. This is my wife, Terry. We've been happily married 45 years, uh, but have been married 49 years. And um, all right, you got to read between the lines with me. I'm just prepping you, getting you ready for this. Uh, Russ and Mary have been friends for a long time, and we serve on the New Covenant Ministries International team together. And I just want to say thank you to this church. Many of you don't know, but Russ and Mary go out uh, quite often and minister in other churches. Their job is to help equip the saints for the works of service. And uh, this church partners in that. And because they're doing that, the people who stay with the stuff get the same reward if you're in this together. I just want to say thanks. They've ministered at our church over the years. Um, churches we know, and they have been not only a blessing, but they built into the foundations of the kingdom success of local churches around the world, many nations. And so thank you so much for partnering uh, in that. So a uh, little bit about myself. I was born in Santa Barbara, California, uh, near the beach, actually not too far away from the beach. That was in the days, in the olden days, when poor people lived by the beach. Nowadays, rich people live by the beach, right? And so, anyway, I never knew my dad and my mom and my two older sisters, myself. We lived there. My mom passed away when I was five, so my sisters and I were passed around uh, through the foster system for quite a while. Some of the houses were okay. Some of them were definitely not okay. But we landed with a family. He was a pastor of a little church in Santa Barbara, and they had five kids of their own, and that is my family to this day. I'm so thankful to God for second chances in life's, uh, life and, and third chances and fourth chances and millionth chances, but I knew as much as an eight-year-old could understand when I walked down the aisle of that little country church in Santa Barbara uh, that I wanted to follow Jesus, and he has been so faithful. I love him today more, more than ever, and I'm so grateful uh, that he has uh, held me and sustained me and uh, given me purpose and a sense of hope uh, when there was hopelessness. And I, I just love him more than ever. And I, I just want to give him glory and honor uh, wherever I go. So he's my best friend. Terry's my second best friend. And that's, that's how it goes, uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. So it's a privilege to be able to talk to you guys. Uh, we, have the, we have the privilege of coming every so often and seeing snapshots. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, sometimes you get a, a measuring tape and you mark the kids, you know, when they're growing up on the side of the, the doorpost in, in the house. And, and so the first week we were here, there was uh, 15 people here, I think. And then the next year later, there was a bigger group, and you were in the tram sheds already. And then, and then, and then I came back uh, later that year, and you're growing again, and we come back here after COVID. Uh, how many agree with me that COVID is stupid? All right, we didn't like, we didn't like that. 
I didn't much like that, but here we are, and it seems like no time has gone by. We've had a, such a great time with Russ and Mary this week and the leadership and getting in mischief with Russ and Mary and on, on the East Coast, and um, so it's a privilege to be here today. I'm going to talk to you uh, about the children of Israel um, when they were taken away to um, Babylon for 70 years. So if you, if you read in your Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, and then you get into Esther, Job, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and then all the prof- prophecy books. So Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of in the middle of the Old Testament, but actually they're the very last two stories in the Old Testament. If you're following the storyline, the narrative, the very last thing is when Nehemiah helped, uh, came back and they rebuilt the wall. The second to the last thing was when Ezra brought the people back to rebuild the temple. Well, Jeremiah prophesied that they'd be there for 70 years in Babylon and then return home. The bad prophets, they said, no, you're going to come home right away. And uh, Jeremiah sent this message, and this is not part of my talk, but it is sort of connected because I'm going to talk out of the same chapter, but I, I believe that this is a word for, for Redemption Hills Church. We're kind of living in Babylon now. You know, we were, the children of Israel were with the Lord, then they were taken into captivity, and then they're going to return. And this, this earth is just a way station. As believers, we, we need to know that. This is not our home. We're just passing through. And... Uh, so this is what Jeremiah said to the people in Babylon. He said, you're, you're not coming home. You're staying there for 70 years. But what are you going to do in the meantime? And um, all of us have a day when we're going to close our eyes here on planet Earth and open them in the presence of the Lord. It's going to come. And uh, whether we die or whether Jesus comes back, we're going to pass from this life into eternity. I want to encourage you, be ready for it. But while we're here, what do we do? And this is what Jeremiah prophesied from the Lord. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I then know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So we say that all the time, but the predecessor to that is this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and their daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so I want to encourage you. God has put you in this city, in this region, and this is not heaven. You're not going to be here forever, but while you're here, seek the good of this area, for its welfare determines your welfare. So have kids, have grandkids, build houses, live lives, be good workers in the marketplace, make a difference in this area, which I know you guys are doing, but seek its welfare for in that it determines your welfare. And I want to just encourage you with that. Stay busy 
Stay busy with the kingdom until the kingdom ultimately comes, comes back. Does that make sense? So God's put you here for a purpose. So that was free. Now I'm going to start my timer. <laughs> All right. No, I'm just teasing. So um, I do want to kind of keep it, keep an eye on the clock that you don't have in the back wall. I love this venue, by the way. I hope you guys realize how blessed you are. This is awesome. This is awesome. So, say again. Yeah, even though you don't have a clock. So, clocks are okay. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about the children of Israel. So, they come back from uh, Babylon, and uh, they start uh, uh, hearing uh, from, from the Lord uh, after 70 years, Ezra goes, we ought to go back and rebuild the temple and do this. Have you ever felt like you're stuck somewhere? Have you ever felt like God's promised you something and you're waiting? Have any of you waited 70 years for a promise like the children of Israel did? Some of the people were still alive. They were kids when they were taken out. And they, and they come back. So I've got a little, it's a very scientific chart. I'm going to ask them to put it up on the screen up here. All right? This is very, very... Data, data heavy. No, it's not really. It's pretty, pretty simple. This is the, your kingdom effectiveness chart. This applies to you. It applies to the church. It applies to a lot of uh, areas. And so you see over on the, on the left-hand side, it says impact. Do you want to have an impact for the kingdom of God? Do you want to count for Jesus? I want to tell you this. The more you want to count for Jesus, the more it's going to cost you. The more you're going to have to give up. The more you're going to have to lay your life down. And you got to do it for a long time. So across the bottom, it says faithfulness. So this is the faithfulness chart. So you go for a while. Sometimes you go a long ways. And you got to do this long walk of integrity where, where nobody really sees you. You don't really have any profile. And then slowly, after you sort of develop a reputation for integrity, walking uh, with Jesus for a long time, or, 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 or as the church, uh, serving the community and so forth. You make that little turn where you get, get some credibility, and then all of a sudden you take off like on a lot of charts where you have visibility. And so I want to encourage you that this is a long process of serving Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. And you might have been waiting for a promise. Maybe God has promised you something for a long time. But God is faithful. So the children of Israel did return home. And, and they came back and they built uh, the, the altar. And they started doing sacrifices again. And they got, they got busy with reconstructing the temple. And then they took several years to lay the foundation of, of the temple. Because it had been utterly destroyed by the Babylonians. And, and so they constructed this, this foundation. It was kind of like, you know what a concrete slab is? Like they pour concrete, and that's the, the, you know, the foundation. There are footings around the edges. But this thing was just a huge slab out there. And that, that was a, a big deal because you know when you're building a building, most, that's half the building right there. All the planning, all the, all the architectural, all, all the foundation, all, this, all the stuff ahead of time. Once you have the, the, that, that in... The building's actually half finished. The rest goes up fast. And so that's that long integrity phase until you come into credibility and visibility. So here's what Ezra says about that. 
Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And I'm going to be reading out of the NLT, and I'm not sure if it's going to be up there, but you're smart enough to translate. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals um, to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord. Fits right in today because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. They were praising and celebrating because there was a slab on the ground. God promised that they would return, and they did. So what has God promised you? Are you living in the promise that he promised you? Are you living in the abundant life that Jesus promised you? Or are you just hanging on by a thread? So remember that we do what we do for the Lord, not for ourselves. Remember whose servant you are. Everything we do. If we're a believer, everything we do is for him. And uh, sure, the work gets opposed. Sure, sure you had plans and dreams. And, and, and sometimes it kind of, your growth in Jesus actually stops for years and years. And this is what happened to the children of Israel. They got back. The foundation was done. They go, all right, we're back here. And then they went back to their farms and, 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 and sort of got the vineyards and the, and the crops going again after 70 years. And they rebuilt their houses and their, their towns around there. And they just got busy. And, and the, the slab was neglected. For 18 years, it sat there. So you could imagine what it looked like after, you know, the weeds were starting to grow up through the cracks and, you know, through the, the winters and the summers and things started chipping away. It didn't look so good, but they finally uh, got back to the work. Ezra prophesied in chapter 5, at that time, uh, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, and I'll read a little bit out of Haggai and Zechariah as well, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. So after an 18-year hiatus, they got back. And so there were some people in the land that didn't like this. They didn't like the fact that the children of Israel came back and moved back in in their homes, but now this had become their territory after seven years, and they didn't much like it. So they thought that they would write a letter to King Darius back in Babylon. And I'm going to put a little spin on it, because this is how I think they might have sounded if they were talking, if you don't mind. Uh, to King Darius, greetings. The king should know that we went to the construction site of the temple of the great God in the province of Judah. It is being rebuilt with specially prepared stones and timber is being laid in its walls. The work is going forward with great energy and success. We asked their leaders, who gave you permission to build this temple and restore this structure? See, can you kind of hear them talking that way? All right. And we demanded their names so that we could tell you who the leaders were. Do you have a, the word tattletale here? <laughs> this, was, this was their answer. 
So we asked them, why are they doing this? And they answered, and we're telling you this. This was their answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built here many years ago by a great king in Israel. That was the right answer. We are servants of the Most High God. If the devil ever questions you what you're doing, or this church, say, we are doing what Almighty God has called us to do. Because it's going to be opposed. Who are you serving? Whose dream is being accomplished? Do you have zeal for what God is doing in your life or what he's doing in Redemption Hills Church? Because, you know, our priorities may not be his priorities. Sometimes we find ourselves going back and get life getting in the way, and we're charged with this, not the physical temple, rebuilding the temple, but building, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, building our lives centered around Jesus, building our homes and our children and our future in the, in the impact that we have in the area. That's what we're charged with. It's God's call, not my, not my call. Are we spending our time and our energy, and our resources on things that God has not called us to do? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember when Jesus said that? Yes, it's a yoke. Yes, it's a burden. But it's easy and it's light. And if what you're doing right now is not easy and it's not light, then it's not the yoke and it's not the burden that God gave you. You gave it to you. Do the things that he called you to do, because when you're yoked to him, it's a burden and, 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 a, and, and it's heavy, but, but it's easy and it's light, because we're in this slipstream of God's grace. So, uh, Back to the original call, while they went to go build, uh, rebuild the temple, Haggai chapter 1, on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign... The Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come uh, to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Boy, that's happened to me before. Where was that? There was something there a while ago. And... This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, rebuild my house, then I'll take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for riches, but they were poor. And you brought your harvest home, but I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while you're all busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you the heavens withhold the dew and the earth and produces no crops. I've called for a drought on the fields and hills and a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops. A drought to starve you and your livestock to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. You ever feel like it? I'm working hard and nothing's happening. Find out if it's what God's called you to do. He's trying to get your attention and say, do what I've called you to do and I will pour blessing on you. Because we're never going to get it done in our own strength. We will never get what God has called us to do in our own 
strength. It requires the Holy Spirit. It's not a formula. It's not just, you know, do this, check this, check this, check this, and God will bless me. But this is God's way. This is God's pattern. It's not our effort that accomplishes things. Doing what God has called us to do requires radical obedience and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 13 and 14, it says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I'm with you, says the Lord. And God says to you, I'm with you. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and enthusiasm of, of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. And they began rebuilding the house of, the, of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. This is where that famous verse comes in, the parallel in Zechariah 4.6. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Are you going to finish what you started? Is Redemption Hills Church going to finish what it started? How are we going to do it? It's only by the Spirit and presence of God. Only by the Spirit and presence of God. My friend Dudley Daniel, yeah, I'm name dropping. He's my friend. In his book, Building on Apostolic Foundations, he, he wrote this. I love this passage. What is possibly most needed is the presence of God in the midst of his people. If everything else that was lost or stolen were already restored, we would still only be heading for another marsh if we did not have the presence of God. Without the presence of God, we have no power, no authority, and no transformation, and no glory to display to the nations. And he said, without the presence of God in our meetings, there's no presence of God here. We've come to hear either a good or a bad worship set or a good or a bad sermon, but there is no change. There is no transformation unless Almighty God is here. So when you come here, and I know some of you are newer, when you come and you leave and you go, man... I really didn't feel like coming today, but I'm glad I did. I feel strengthened. I feel encouraged. I feel comforted. It's not because of this beautiful new building. It's not because Russ has such a full head of hair. It's because Jesus is here. And Jesus and his spirit, that's what changes lives. And we get to be a part of it. Moses, the greatest prophet ever, the Bible says, says we don't want to go one step into that promised land unless your presence goes before us. So, I can almost guarantee that believers, most believers, never intend to abandon the temple project that they started, the th things they were going to do for God. They go, oh, we'll get back to it. Maybe next week, maybe next month, certainly before next year. You know, we got to get the kids in university, we got to put a new roof on the house, got that new business we're starting, and kind of life just gets in the way. Birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, 
Birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. <laughs> Life gets in the way, and all of a sudden you wake up 18 years later, and it's still just a slab. Yeah, we have a foundation. Yes, we love Jesus. Yes, we're saved. But we haven't done anything with that. Dave Kraft wrote a book. You don't have to get it. Just listen for 30 seconds, and you save the price of the book. It's a book called Leaders Who Last. Leaders Who Last. Only 30% of Christians finish what they started. Only 30%. And when we don't pay attention to God, he has a way of getting our attention. People don't deliberately set out to ignore God, but we drift away because we let other things get in the way. Get in the way of living a wholesome life, a fruit-filled life that Jesus wants. So, question. Where are you in your walk with God? Let's put that uh, scientific chart back up there again. And integrity and credibility and visibility. Where are you in that chart? Maybe you're at the very beginning because you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. Maybe you've been exploring Christianity and you're trying to get some questions answered, honest questions. You're welcome here. I know you're welcome here. Keep asking good questions. But if you're right there, just say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you did what you said you were going to do. You died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life today. I don't know what all that means, but I want more of you, Jesus. Right where you're seated right now, you can say yes, yes. What that guy up there just said, yes, I want that, God. And when you do, you immediately pass from death to life. You immediately go through the veil of, of, of no hope to hope. And the backpack of shame and the burden that we carry is dropped off because Jesus took it for you. That's how you can start that line, your walk with Jesus. Today can be the day. You don't have to be stuck like the children of Israel wandering in, in, in the desert for 40 years. Some of you said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but you just feel like you're just wandering and stuck. You can move forward starting today. Have you crossed over into the promised land but haven't taken possession of it all? When you give Jesus your heart, you're not just giving him your, your, your front, front room, your lounge, or your living room. You're giving him the whole house. That includes the garage and the closets and the drawers. And you invite the Holy Spirit to search every part of you. Say, Jesus, have all of me. Are you growing in that Respect. Have you been faithful to his call, but you're just ugh, so tired? Just a little note. If you're breathing, Jesus hasn't called you home yet. And you still have work to do. Because when your work here is done, he'll call you home to join the party. We all have stuff to do. I, I, it doesn't matter what. Gen, we're all really one generation. If we compare ourselves to the Apostle Paul, we're one generation. He's 2,000 years old. We're all kind of 
modern day. Some of us are older, you know, we, we count the years really closely, but in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, we're what I believe is the final generation before Jesus returned, but we have jobs to do. We have work to do. And we're still on this growth curve, even though, like for me, I can, like I shared how God is faithful when I first shared a bit of my testimony. You know how I know? Because most of my story has been written. And I've seen the goodness of God. I've seen his faithfulness. So I can tell you, if you're younger, you can decide if you're younger. God is faithful. He's faithful. You can put your trust in him. You can put your trust in him to heal the ickiness that's in your heart. The, the, the things that have happened to us that ought not to have happened. He can restore your confidence and give you hope in a future. In his presence is fullness of joy, the Bible says. Not halfness of joy or quarterness of joy. Wholeness, fullness of joy when we know him. So maybe you feel like quitting. Like you've done your part. Like you've put your time in. You're just tired. I want to tell you that you still have a job to do. I told my kids and grandkids, I said, listen, when I get old, because I'm not near there yet, and I'm in a hospital bed, and my eyes are closed, and I'm not responding, I said, if there's one electrical impulse in here, I'm going to be praying for you. Because I've got a job to do. And I'm building this temple that God called me to build, not for my glory, but for his glory. To display his goodness. So if you're among the olders among us, please don't take this as, hey, Steve says quit. You know, the young people are coming through. Another generation is coming through. Yeah, they are. Make it easy for them. Make it easy for them. But don't quit. Your job's not over. We all have a job to do. And young people, if you want to help a little bit of advice in accelerating your maturity, talk to some of those older folks without offending them and telling them that they're older folks and that you want to take them out for coffee or tea or something and just say, what are three important things that you've learned in your life that I could learn from? So... Redemption Hills Church, where are you in your credibility, integrity, visibility chart stage? In 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, I don't think this is verse up there, but Paul says to Timothy, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, hold on to the pattern. There's all kinds of patterns in Scripture of wholesome teaching out of the word of God. You've learned from me a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. See, we need churches, and I believe Redemption Hills Church is one of those churches, one of those rare churches where we trust in the foundation and authority of God's word and we rely on the presence of of the Holy Spirit, word and spirit. Too many word only or spirit only. 
Some of you might have grown up in churches that were word only, and you think this church is too wild. Some of you might have grown up in spirit-only churches, and you think this church is too tame. And some of you got saved here, and you don't know the difference. You're just happy. This is great, all right? So you got to decide where you are. But we want to be not spirit or word. We want to be spirit and word, word and spirit. It's like which two wings of the airplane do you want? Just want the left one? No, I want them both. All right, if this thing is going to float. Float. They've, they're floating among the clouds. <laughs> sort of. So we can have real life, but it's only found in Jesus. And it can't be because of our effort. Trying to have real life in Jesus through our own effort is trying to like, live your life going up and down escalator. You ever try to do that? You can do it for a while, not very long. You're going to get tired. But living life in Jesus through the authority of his word and the presence of his Holy Spirit is like living life going up and up escalator. Because if you're going down an escalator and you fall and get tired, ugh, just sit down for a while, you're going to wake up and you're going to be at the bottom again. But if you do that on an up escalator, oh, Lord, I just need you like this. You're going to, you know, you stop walking up the up escalator. You just, it'll kind of carry you up there. You wake up and you're only higher in him. So without the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like a sailboat that's all ready to go on a journey. The ropes are are in good repair, the sails are all mended and, and good, there's water in the tank, the GPS and the batteries are charged, there's food in the cupboards, uh, the rudder is working, all the steerage things are working, the captain is sober, and, and there's just ready to go on this trip, but there's no wind. Too often churches are all ready, they've done, we've done everything that's in here, and now... Let's go, like this. But there's no Holy Spirit there. There's no dependence on God. He's the in our midst. He's the one that fills our sails. We can know the gospel, but we need to know and live the gospel. Somebody just mentioned to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'll tell you what, for believers, dying is the easy part. Living for Jesus is the hard part. Every day, laying your life down as a sacrifice for him. We want to share the good news. We want to make disciples of all people groups like he's, call, he's called us to, but the gospel is not just good news. It's not just, I mean, just a good advice. It's good news. The gospel is good news that Jesus paid the price for our sin, that he's set us free. It's not just like, okay, you got to check off these things to be a Christian. It's not just, oh, Jesus just loves you. You don't have to do anything. No, the gospel is real clear. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the identity-changing, heart-shaping, life-transforming, redemptive work Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. We can study the Bible Without the Holy Spirit illuminating what's in here, it's pretty dry. We can discuss it for years and years. 
but they don't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that breathes wind into our sails. He gives us power to be his witnesses and to live godly and victorious lives. So we need the Word and the Spirit, not just our favorite. We need them both. So if you have a weak side, work on that weak side. Ask God to help you with that. So, have you been satisfied with living your life on a slab? Or do you want to keep building? You want to keep building. You want to keep serving Jesus with everything that's within you, carried along by the winds of the Spirit who will lift you up. I want to encourage you, finish what God has called you to do. Paul said to Timothy, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others as well. So, from Paul to Timothy to teaching others who will be able to teach others. We want to be the generation that doesn't drop the ball. We want to carry it on to the next generation. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness in your word, the truths that set us free. Father, I pray right now that those that have been hearing your message here this morning will not feel one ounce of condemnation, but an encouragement to get back on track. And you can do it instantaneously right now, just course correction, we're getting back on track. If I need to repent of something, I'll repent and we'll get back on. And for those of us that have been faithful and remained faithful, sustain us, O oh God, according to your word. Empower us according to your spirit, we pray. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen.